right, good, good truths to sing tonight as we get ready. And you can go ahead now and turn to Psalm 22. We finished our series on the conscience last week. And still, I think back, that was a great help to me. And I've still had opportunity to talk with you further about that. And would love to do so if you still have questions um, about that whole thing. It is very important. God's guidance in our conscience. Um, looking toward what we're going to be doing next, um, thinking through some Psalms, and my mind, Lord brought my mind to Psalm 23 in the midst of what we are covering in the Gospel of John and about what Christ is about to endure and suffer. This just seemed appropriate the next two weeks uh, to cover together as so much of this psalm is reflected in even the very words of Christ and what he experienced while he was hanging on the cross. And so I hope, I expect that this is going to be of great help to you. Um, and I think it's timely. So this psalm, as we get started in this, is considered by many to be what's called a messianic psalm. For its detailed account, and you can't miss that, very dramatic account here of what God's anointed servant would suffer at the hands of his enemies. And even as we start in the first verse, we hear Christ repeating these words as he's literally quoting from this psalm, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me as the psalmist continues minute. But there is a significant question in the midst of this. Um, this certainly was prophetic and what Christ would suffer. But this, this psalm also represents sufferings that David personally experienced. As we work through this psalm, we're going to see that, that there's some very vivid pictures here and real anguish and turmoil. And we think through even what we've gone through in David's life so far. David went through a lot of difficult things, but a lot of scholars have read this and say, and say I'm not sure that anything that David went through was this, um, left him in this much turmoil. The description is, is so painful here. And so really another way to ask this question, another way to look at this is the question could be, how could anything that David experienced, even as we've worked through his life so far, did anything that David experienced really compare to the sufferings that Jesus Christ went through? And if you think back through David's life, really, you could do that with any character of the Bible, right? Did any character of the Bible servant of God go through what Jesus went through? Well, obviously not. Jesus went through an intense level of anguish. And as he bore sin, we'll talk, we'll have more opportunity to talk about the whole idea of the father and um, what we have a picture is uh, in the words here, forsaking um, David, but forsaking Jesus says literally why have you forsaken me how, how can that be we've read in the gospel of John of the close permanent relationship between the father and the son and how can he in any way forsake him 
and we'll we'll have time later on to, to go through that as we get to that point in the Gospel of John. But because there's such a dichotomy between anything that David experienced that we know of and the things that only a prophetic psalm in which David was guided by the Spirit to write, but maybe but possibly didn't really understand fully what he was writing. And we do have examples of that as the prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, and the others were given things to say to people that they didn't fully, they weren't able to fully comprehend themselves throughout their lifetimes. I mean, Daniel, it says after the prophecies that he experienced and that he wrote down, that he still was perplexed afterwards. So some folks say, well, this is just one of those things that David was guided to write. And not to be too facetious here, but almost like after he wrote it, well, I'm not really sure how I've never experienced anything like this, but, you know, I, I wrote it, and, and God wanted me to write it, so he'll use it somehow or another. Or there's another thought here. Maybe he was writing a psalm to bring comfort to those going through fatal illness or that were close to death, and that he instructed the people to remember this psalm and to recite it for those that were on death's door. And certainly, it would bring comfort to those that were going through serious illness down through the ages. It has. But I think it's best to view this as really an actual distress that David was enduring, probably something that's not even recorded. All the Psalms that we have that David wrote, we're not, the Bible didn't include for us every event in David's life. This may be one of those that we don't have recorded um, in the Bible that was very grievous and hard in David's life as he's facing this, grievous to him. But at the same time, as hurtful as this was to David, this also would stand as a prophecy of a more expanded, more intensive experience for Jesus, for our Lord. And he would be the ultimate fulfillment that he would fulfill in what he went through on the cross in a far more full and dramatic <laughs> an awful way what's represented here. Another way to illustrate this, this came to mind. Um, if you remember back when your children were small, we still have some of those. And some of, sometimes your kids can come to you um, and their eyes are full of tears. And it's obvious that there's something that's really bothering them and that has caused them great distress. Um, and your parental heart goes out to them, and you, you're immediately braced for the worst as they come to you and they're crying. And it's obviously something that is very bothersome to them. And so you say, well, everything's going to be all right. We'll take care of it. Now, what's, what happens? And they explain why they're so upset. And sometimes it's like, well, I totally understand why you're upset. But there are times where uh, small children, and we can understand this as adults too, or they're upset about things that as they describe them to us, and I, I admit I've had these times where in my heart I think, why are you so worked up about that? <laughs> of all the, and I have to, and I haven't always uh, been successful in not portraying that, trying to calm them down. You know, really, is it really that, do you need to be that upset by this? And, you know, sometimes the, the Holy Spirit will remind me, okay, be gentle here, be careful. 
because I'm really kind of irritated at that point. Um, it's something that seems very small and probably in the big scheme of things, as far as the things that we have adults have experienced, it is small. But folks, to them, it really is hurtful. It, it really is a hard thing. And so I really think that this is something that David is experiencing, that when we compare it to Christ, what Christ went through, we say, oh, well, it's nothing compared to what Jesus went through. Yes, but whatever this is David's going through in his life, it obviously is hurtful and bothersome to him. How many times have we had something in our lives that have, have really bothered us, and we thought back later on and thought, I'm not so sure why that was so troubling to me. And, you know, it probably wouldn't be troubling to other people, but at that time and at that particular place, it just really, it, it caused me great, great anguish. And of course, there are times where God allows dark things into our, our lives <clears throat> where we really feel like he's distant and where that he has, that he's not near us and we're looking around. And we would understand, we would state with the psalmist, why have you forsaken me? We understand more maybe sometimes than we want to let on what David is going through here. So I think this is something that David went through, but the ramifications and the ultimate fulfillment go on far in a much greater way to what Jesus would go through. So we're going to be saying, seeing in the first part of the psalm today, next week we'll cover the second part, we're going to see seeking God during great trouble. And we'll just read the first 11 verses. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. And by night, but I find no rest. Yet you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. And you our fathers trusted. They trusted and you delivered them. To you they cried and were rescued. And you they trusted and were not put to shame. But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by mankind and despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him, for he delights in him. And we'll skip to verse 11. Be not far from me, for trouble is near and there is none to help. Father, as we look at this dark, troubling psalm, where it's obvious that David, we don't know what he was going through, but it was a great burden and grief to him. We can relate as we look at the dark times that you have brought us through, or maybe even some here tonight that are experiencing dark times right now. And from an experiential perspective, it may seem that you are distant and that or we need this psalm tonight to be reminded of the truths that even when our emotions and our experience seems to shout out something else, that the truths of your word remind us that you are near, that you will help and you will deliver. So as certainly we also think of Christ and what he went through, help us to make proper application with this psalm in our lives to depend on you and go to you when trouble comes and depend upon you. And this we ask in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Seeking God during great affliction, during great trouble. In the first 11 verses here, we see seeking God. We need to seek God when we feel abandoned. 
Now, even let's before we get to verse one, let me address something in the title there. I think I remember Rick and when Dave Tubbs was with us um, a few times, they pointed out that the title of the psalm uh, was with the psalm in its original form. And so we want to read that as well. And it's interesting here to the choir master, according to, and some translations may say, um, Ijaleth Shahar, or some form of that. And it means the hind of the morning. Well, what's the hind mean? Well, um, that is an old word for doe, female deer. You could literally say it means the doe of the dawn, a psalm of David. Well, that doesn't really help our understanding much. What we can tell from this is probably a great chance that th this, uh, many times there was instructions to musicians at the beginning of Psalms, and this may actually refer to a tune. Uh, many times in our hymn book, we have tunes that are referred to, um, that uh, this is from an, an old tune that we sing to this and, and to that. Well, uh, David it seems most likely here that um, as he's writing this, he's saying, I want this to be sung to this tune, the Doe of the Dawn. And so uh, just some musical information here as well that's interesting, but that shows that David's musicianship, that he was serious about this being a psalm that people would sing and remember together uh, when times were tough. And then, of course, in dramatic fashion, fashion here, he jumps right into this, and you can sense the agony that David is going through. God feels distant from him. In dramatic fashion, he has a Why have you forsaken me? That word forsaken has the idea it can also be leave or abandon. And David, as he begins this song, notice his greatest concern above all else in his suffering. And he is suffering a lot, as we're going to see. His greatest concern is that the Lord feels distant from him. Above all else, Father, that I am facing and the difficulties that I am going through, the greatest concern to me is that you feel distant from me. I don't feel close to you. That ought to be the greatest concern for any of us in any trial. Lord, where are you? And then isn't it true then, as we tie that, we think about what our Lord Jesus Christ went through. We can say this, that both David and Jesus share this same assessment of what the greatest loss and greatest priority was in their affliction. The most important thing was their relationship to the Father. And above all else that we face, that ought to be the one, the, the most important thing to us too. And he continues this dark picture. Why are you so far? The Hebrew word has the idea of distant, remote. You seem removed from me, Lord, from saving me. I need deliverance here. And yet it feels like you're a hundred, you're a thousand miles away right now. From the words of my groaning, the Hebrew word here, Many times is used for the roaring of a lion, but this in this context, David's saying loud groaning. I'm suffering so much that literally my groans can be heard um, by many. I am I am going through deep distress, and people around me know it. And then verse two, oh my God, I cry. And this word for cry means to shout, to summon. He's summoning. He's crying out to God in a, in, his, in a full voice by day, 
Lord, where are you? At the top of his voice. And there's nothing. There's nothing. There's silence. You do not answer. And by night, but I find no rest. There are many times where David in his Psalms talks about <clears throat> the rest that he feels when he meditates on God and the night watches at night. But in this scenario, he's not finding rest because he feels like God is distant from him. Now, let's be honest, we can all understand this. Even the saint that has walked with God for years, there are times where God allows such difficult things into our lives and it, things are so hard that in the midst of all that we're going through, when we cry out to God, he seems from an emotional and experiential sense, he seems distant. He seems far away. And folks, whatever we're going through, that ought to be the most concerning thing to us. We ought to, in the midst of really difficult times, I think of Job as well. The themes of Job continue to um, come up through the psalm as well. But as we seek and we cry out to God, our greatest we, we, our realization should be, Lord, if I could just sense your presence with me, everything would be okay. And David is asking for that. Well, what do you do when your perception and your emotions and your experience isn't matching what God's word said is true? Then you remind yourself of the truth of God's word in the midst of our emotional sensory experience. Like Dr. Berg always used to say, well, he still says <laughs> many times, we have to talk ourselves many times back to the reality of God's word. And that's what David does here too. He reminds himself of who God is. Yes, God feels distant, but he says, yet, verse three, yet you are holy. You're enthroned on the praises of Israel. This word means inhabit or indwell. You indwell as Israel worships you. Their, your presence is with them. I've experienced that. I know I've experienced your presence, your habitation in your, in your tabernacle. And you, our fathers trusted. And this word for trust means they had total confidence in. They trusted and you delivered them. To you they cried and were rescued. In you they trusted and were not put to shame. Really, you could describe that. He's saying here, they were not disappointed in your deliverance and in your help. And so he reminds himself of the reality of his relationship with God. God is holy. He is pure. And yet he will dwell with his people. His people can have confidence in God. And there were situations, as he's thinking back in Israel's history, you delivered them. You did not disappoint them. They did not feel shame. And David knows that. And yet at the same time, there seems to be a disconnect from the truth that he knows. Have you ever felt that way? I know God's word says this. And I know God is a God that does this. But does, and I know God does this for his people, but does he look upon me will he do this for me personally when we're going through difficult things sometimes we struggle with our knowledge that yes of who God is and we acknowledge and we have faith that God will deliver us as his people 
but we have trouble applying that to our own individual situation. Yes, God is that way toward everybody else, but many times I feel like he's not that way toward me personally. And David says, I know that God will deliver his people, that he will rescue them, but will he rescue me? I am a worm and not a man. And you, they are scorned by mankind and despised or thought of as worthless by the people. Really, David's saying here, I'm less than human. God, um, my experience have left me so low, I'm not even human. I'm like a worm. I'm like a parasite. You see the, the depth of his despair here. And the picture here is that as people look upon him, what do we tend to do when we see a worm or a parasite or something like that? Ew, yuck, get it away. David's saying, that's how I feel, that people look at me and they say, ew, get away. You know, again, Job went through these things. David can understand and um, sympathize with Job here. A uh, good Spurgeon quote. The psalmist, he felt himself to be comparable to a helpless, powerless, downtrodden worm, passive while crushed and unnoticed and despised by those who trod upon him. He selects the weakest of creatures, which is all flesh, and becomes, when trodden upon, writhing, quivering flesh, utterly devoid of any might except strength to suffer. That's quite a picture. David's at quite a low point in his life. And in the midst of that, in the midst of his sense that he's unhuman, that people are disgusted by him and that God is distant. If all of that wasn't bad enough, now he explains that the people around him mock him and they jeer at him. They're of no help to him at all. Um, They despise him. They scorn him. Verse seven, all who see me mock me as the idea of jeering at me. If you've ever seen kids, uh, mean little kids jeering at a smaller child or, in, or bullies kind of making nasty faces, nah, 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 nah. That really is what David is describing here. Look at this next part. They make mouths at me, sneering with their mouths. Really, you could, the modern equivalent like that might be a nah, nah, nah or something where they're visibly showing their disdain for someone. He says, they're showing that to me. They wag their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him, for he delights in him. Don't you get the picture? I know I keep going back to Christ. He would be the ultimate fulfillment of Jesus on the cross and him being mocked. If he really is a son of God, let him come down. And they know not what they do and what they say. And David is going through this. He's being mocked for his faith in God. And yet, here's something else that's important. When David is going through this emotional turmoil, remember, he remembered the truth of who God was. And folks, whenever we feel separated and that God is distant, go to God's word, run to God's word, remind yourself of the truths that God is faithful, that he is loving, that as a child of Christ, that he is with us. But then also do what David did here. Remember what God has done for you in the past. And that's what he does in verses 9 through 10. 
He says, I'm going through all these awful things. And yet, Lord, I remember that from a, a child, from an infant, where I had that warm protection of my mother, that you protected me as well. You, verse 9, yet you are he who took me from the womb. You made me trust you at my mother's breast. On you was I cast from my birth, and from my mother's womb you have been my God. He's saying, God, you taught me to depend upon you when I was helpless. And you helped me, and you were with me, and you were protected, just like a mother is to a child or an infant. I remember those times where you were protective of me, where you came to my aid. And so verse 11, he calls for God to do that again. He doesn't despair. He doesn't give up. But he says, Lord, just like you did all those times before, be not far from me now for trouble. This idea of trouble is trouble that brings great distress in our lives, is near, it's close at hand, it's about ready to grab me. God, please come to my aid. There is none to help. I've got nobody else to depend on. And really, if you think about that, that's where we should be every time that we face trouble. We depend upon so many other things in our lives for support and help. And when the really dark, difficult times come, it's a reminder to us. Sometimes God has to remind us, look at all these other things that you're using for crutches or supports that are apart from me. And David says, I get it, Lord. I've got nobody else. I need you. I need your help. And sometimes God allows really difficult things in our lives to kind of remind us of that. And we need that because we tend to stray from him so often. Seek God when he feels distant. Seek God when others oppose you. Run to him. Don't wait. Go to him right away. And yet David's experience here is going to continue. Seek God when you feel abandoned. Seek God when you need deliverance. And now in a really dramatic, picturesque way, um, David is going to describe all of his experiences and his enemies, and they're all coming down upon, about, upon him, excuse me, and they're about ready to pounce on him and tear him apart. We see these pictures here as he gives us pictures from the animal world about how he's feeling threatened. These are supposed to be um, imagery, okay? It's not, we shouldn't. Uh, look at this as if David is is in a weakened state on the ground, and these animals are all coming at him, lions and bulls and tigers and bears. Oh, my, there's no bears in here. But this is, this is imagery that David is giving us. But at the same time, David has no idea that one day a son of David will experience what he's describing here in a much more literal way. And we'll see that through this. The imagery of the onslaught of the enemy against him, verse 12. Many bulls encompass me, strong bulls of Bashan, which um, if you understand, Bashan was a well-irrigated, um, fruitful, um, high ground in the north, was known for... Um, there, there are bulls that were able to eat well and grew strong and were very powerful. 
this whole region. And so David uses a picture of these, think of strong, large, well-fed bulls all coming his way to trample him. You ever seen the, um, these bullfights in Spain and these bulls literally running down the streets, right? That's in Spain, right? Or is that Mexico? Spain, right? And, and, and the power of those bulls and everybody trying to get out of the way, nobody wants to be in, direct, in the direct line of, of an oncoming strong, large bull. Everybody's getting out of the way. And David here sees these bulls coming at him and he doesn't have any way to get out of the way. They're almost on top of him. He's about to get trampled. And then he switches the picture here to a lion. They open wide their mouths at me like a ravening and roaring lion. And lions are strong. Um, lions can tear their prey apart, but lions are cats. They're big cats. And if you ever, if you have a cat, we have a cat as much as we love our little Tookie. Um, we've seen him with his prey. Cats can be really cruel. Lions can be really cruel. And they don't have much concern at all for their prey. Even our cat Tookie, as he grabs a chipmunk or whatever, I kind of sometimes I'm like, boys, look away. This is pretty bad. <laughs> as, you know, he slowly teases that thing in, in, in full cruelty. And David is here having this picture of his enemies coming at him, cruel, uncaring, unloving. They just want to devour him. Get that. The... Um, description, the picturesque description here, like a ravening and roaring lion, one that's hungry, one that needs sustenance. And he says, in the meantime, I have no way to get out of the way. I am poured out like water. And this is a common picture. You know, when we're done with a cup of coffee or something, get out of the car and many times, you know, it's gotten cold and I just want to get rid of it. So I just, what, I just pour it out into the dust, throw away the cup. It's really what David's um, saying here is that I'm all used up. Just pour me out and pour it out like water. I have no use. I'm not useful. All my bones are out of joint. They're all separated. Talk about he, he must have been going through some kind of physical pain. And again, uh, as we read this, we see and we will see as we continue through our account of what Jesus went through, of all the physical difficulties and torture that he went through. But David seems to be going through some physical trouble as well. He's talking here about how fearful he is. My heart is like wax. It melted within my breast. This is fear. He is fearful of the situation. He's terrified, really. He says, my strength is dried up like a pot shirt. What's a pot shirt? Well, it's a broken piece of pottery. And it's basically, he's saying, I'm broken. I'm useless. I can't get out of the way from the enemy that's coming upon me. He says, my tongue sticks to my jaws. I don't even have anything to say. So I'll write a psalm, but I'm speechless. I can't call out and try to, to, to help call out for help from others. And then he says, you lay me in the dust of death. This is another very picturesque way of saying, I'm ready for the grave. I'm done for. But he also recognizes, God, you're sovereign, and you allowed this to happen. He knows God is in control here, and so he's looking at this, and I don't think he's blaming God, but he's saying, Lord, I really don't want to be in this situation, but I know that you are in charge, that you have allowed this, and I really want to be saved out of this situation. But 
I know that you're in control of all this. This is your doing. And it even gets more dramatic here. Verse 16, for dogs encompass me. A company of evildoers encircle me. Remember, dogs in Bible times were not wonderful, loving companions. They were scavengers. Think hyenas. Think buzzards. That's how David, that's how um, people in Bible times thought of of dogs. As dogs were coming close to you, it was not a happy, um, nice time where you looked forward to petting them and spending time with them. No, they were coming near you because you were ready to die. And not to be too gross here, but they wanted to enjoy the leftovers after you're gone. A company of evildoers surrounds me. And they have an interesting Hebrew phrase here that's many times... um, translated they have pierced my hands and feet and of course we know directly how that's fulfilled with the crucifixion of Jesus Christ but the Hebrew word here also can mean instead of pierce devour like a lion and the picture here seems to be of these dogs or the lions or whatever as they're surrounding David, they're just waiting for him to be weak enough to where they can devour him and eat him up. And he's looking, verse 17, he's looking at himself. I can count all my bones. I'm so thin. I'm so emaciated. I can literally see my bones through my skin. And they stare and gloat over me. And they divide my garments among them. And for my clothing, they cast lots. They look, they expect David to soon be defeated, and they will take from him everything that he owns as the spoils of the battle, even his clothing. David is in great, terrible difficulty here, as we can see. And even as he describes this, we can't help, right? We can't help but see the picture of Christ as we continue in the next few weeks to go through what he would experience, as they would divide his very robe, the Roman soldiers, um, as the people looked upon him in, in anger, and you know, almost have the picture of Satan himself near the cross, excited, ready to devour the Son of God. And he's going through all of that. And David is in deep distress. He feels greatly threatened. What does he do? He again, in the end, he seeks God because he remembers his confidence in God's salvation. And right at the moment here where it seems like everything is at its worst and his enemies are surrounding him, they're circling him like hungry scavengers about ready to tear him apart. He cries out, verse 19, but you, O Lord, do not be far off. O you, my help, come quickly to my aid. Lord, I'm about ready to lose my life. I want to live. I don't want to be in this situation. I don't want to be in this despair. I don't want to be in this discouragement anymore. I need your help. I want your help. He's not suicidal here. He wants rescue. He wants deliverance. He says, verse 20, deliver my soul from the sword and my precious life from the power of the dog. And even as we get to the end of verse 21, he again, it's almost, if you can see this, the anticipation, the uh, drama is heightened. Lord, they're about ready to come at me with the sword. I'm done for, Lord. 
my precious life from the power of the dog. These scavengers are just about ready to take my life. I only have maybe a few minutes, maybe a few seconds. And he says, save me from the mouth of the lion. And then many of our translations say something like this. You have rescued or answered me from the horns of the wild oxen. But as I studied this, actually, the, and I checked the Hebrew text on this. And the last word in the Hebrew text is actually the word for rescued or answered me. And we miss sometimes in some of these translations, the height of the drama here. Really, that phrase, you have rescued, answered me, should be at the end. It should be the last part of the verse. So here he is saying, Lord, they're about ready to come at me with the sword. Lord, I'm about ready to lose my life from these scavengers. Lord, there's a, these people, my enemies are like lions. They're about ready to devour me. I'm about to be trampled by the wild oxen. And then he says, and yet you have rescued me in the nick of time. You've answered my prayer. You've rescued. You've answered me. God provides rescue for David. The rest of the psalm, as we're going to see next week, is David thanking him in gratitude and wonderment for God's rescue at just the nick of time. And folks, this is why this song is so precious, because when we go through these very difficult, dark times, remember, God in his timing, call out to him. Put your full dependence on him. Don't depend upon anybody else. David was clear. I don't have anybody else. I have nobody else to help me. And Lord, you're all I need. I just need you to be with me. Sometimes God allows us to feel distance from him to remind us to depend upon him even more than we are. We move from him many times. He doesn't move. When we do that, we let sin separate us, or we just kind of get confident and think we can handle things. And all of a sudden, the Lord allows something very troubling and dark into our lives. And it's a reminder, oh, Lord, I'm sorry, I need you. I need you right now. I can't wait. And God comes in the nick of time, in his perfect sovereign time, he provides rescue. Don't miss the fact that this would be fully, again, um, the fulfillment of this in prophecy would be Jesus in his death on the cross. And that death that Jesus would experience on the cross would provide the full salvation that David needed and that we need today. And in a much fuller sense, Jesus provides for us today full salvation from even greater enemies than David faced, from Satan, from death, from eternity in hell. And Jesus makes it clear when we call on him in faith, he will deliver us. Another quote from Spurgeon here. Charles Spurgeon has some great quotes quotes when it comes to the Psalms, especially. He says, thus faith, though sorely beaten and even cast beneath the feet of her enemy, ultimately wins the victory. It was so, and he points ahead to Jesus Christ here. It was so in our head, Jesus, and it shall be so in all the members. That's all of us. We have overcome the ravenous beasts. We shall conquer the lion. 
And from both lion and beast, we shall take the crown. Remember in your darkest hour, folks, cry out to God. And he always has perfect timing. And he will bring salvation. And he did through Jesus Christ. We put our faith and trust in him and we're saved from Satan, death, and hell. And as his children in his timing, he will save us from those things that overwhelm us. And ultimately, even if we face death, we know that that's not the end. That we will be with God forever. And even death can't defeat us. But Jesus offers salvation and help and deliverance through it all. I hope that's encouraging to you this week. Let's remember that. Whatever we're going through, remember these truths. Father, this picture, so many times we come to the psalm and we think of our Lord Jesus and what he suffered. And we know that was the ultimate fulfillment. Yes. Help us to realize that David, some way or fashion, also was going through great grief and tribulation. And when he felt, when he was literally at his rope's end and he had nowhere else to turn, he was reminded you were all that he needed. And in the nick of time, you delivered him and saved him. And you will do that for us as well. Thank you for the death, the resurrection of Christ that does give us final victory over death, hell and Satan and provides for us eternal life that we can turn to you and then whatever we face, even if it is death itself, but that is not the end of our story. But Jesus has delivered us from that as well if we have a relationship with him. So let us go from here, encourage whatever we face, whatever darkness, help, help remind us of the truths of your faithfulness and your love and all that Jesus suffered for us so that we can have eternal life and be encouraged and ready to share that with others. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.